everyone. Welcome to Root of the Cause Radio. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the good, the bad, and the ugly of the blood sugar marker hemoglobin A1c. I'll be breaking down how this marker works on a physiological level, as well as how it's used in the context of blood sugar regulation. I'll elucidate some limitations and even potential pitfalls when using this marker. So now for the disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Root of the Cause podcast is solely informational in nature, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatments that we discuss on the show. Okay, I'm going to start by talking a bit about glycation. So glycation is when a sugar combines with a protein to form what we refer to as advanced glycation end product. So the more sugar in the blood at any given time, the more glycation will occur. So measuring the level of glycation is key. So let's now get into hemoglobin A1c, which is a blood sugar marker. So we have hemoglobin, which is the oxygen binding component within the red blood cell. So now heme uh, is made up of iron and an organic molecule. And globin is basically a, a protein chain. So hemoglobin is made up in part of protein. But remember, before I said that glycation is when a sugar combines or sticks to a protein. Now, the life of a red blood cell is thought to be between about 90 and 120 days. And hemoglobin resides within the red blood cell. Now, already, already right, I, just from, from that alone, I see a red flag because that's a nearly 35% discrepancy. And when you're evaluating blood chemistry markers, you want as much consistency and more importantly, reliability as possible. So hemoglobin A1c is the amount of sugar that has been glycated or essentially attached to hemoglobin. Now, what if someone's red blood cell only lives for, let's say, 80 days and someone else 130 days? That's a massive difference, right? So the, the person with the longer-lived red blood cell is going to have more of a relative accumulation of glycation, and not necessarily due to excess sugar, but rather a longer-lived red blood cell. And to make it sort of even more ironic, often it's the people with the best blood sugar stability that tend to have the longer-than-typical-lived red blood cell. And conversely, in people with for shorter red blood uh, cell lifespans, particularly in older people and or those with severe blood sugar regulation, you'll see a hemoglobin A1C skewed lower than what is reality. You also could have someone with an iron-based anemia whose hemoglobin levels aren't robust enough to give uh, an accurate uh, blood sugar picture as well regarding hemoglobin A1C. Now, even if you were to somehow know that hemoglobin A1C was, let's say, perfectly accurate in someone, it still only gives you the, the quantity of blood sugar. It doesn't tell you the quality. Um, it, it gives you no indication of whether the, the, the person has experienced extreme low blood sugar at moments uh, that would potentially serve to skew the results and paint a picture of someone with seemingly healthy blood sugar levels. You know, and it, it also doesn't assess any extreme high numbers as well. So, for example, okay, let's say someone's fasting blood sugar is 74, right? What I would consider to be on the low side. 
and their postprandial blood sugar goes to 180 or higher on a regular basis. Right, so in that person, you would have no clue from the hemoglobin A1C that that's occurring, right? It, it may appear to be in a, in a very healthy range due to the fasting number helping the average to come down to what appears to be a healthy and possible, possibly ideal um, hemoglobin A1C level. So it, it kind of presents as a skewing of hemoglobin A1C at that point. Now, I do think there is value in hemoglobin A1C, and also I do encourage uh, to have people test their levels. I just like to look at various other markers in conjunction with hemoglobin A1C because, as I've mentioned, there are serious flaws in the test. Now, obviously, if someone has a hemoglobin A1C that's off the charts, none of the flaws that I've illustrated within the test would matter as much at that point, right? So, for example, if someone has a hemoglobin A1C of, say, 9, right, which is super high, at that point, regardless of that person's red blood cell lifespan, any other, and, you know, really any other potential factors, it's still just undeniably high, even if there are variables that may be skewing it higher than what it actually is, right? 9 is just way too high for that to matter so much anymore. So really my point is sometimes an A1C can present as say modest to moderately high, right? So imagine that being at the higher end of the conventional lab range, which is certainly high enough to be suspect for sure, but not really definitive enough to determine in an absolute sense if those numbers may be presenting falsely as a result of the potential variables I just mentioned before. So before I wrap this up, I want to state that I do like to use hemoglobin A1C as a tool for assessing blood sugar, but not necessarily as the tool for assessing blood sugar status. And also keep in mind that if you are someone with a long-lived red blood cell causing a false appearance of that A1C marker, it still does have value, right, in the same way say a clock that's off by an hour, let's say roughly an hour, will still consistently tell you how much time has passed despite the actual time being off, right? And also, if you know it's off, right, if you know that clock is off by about an hour, you could still get a rough idea of what the actual time is despite having a broken clock, right? And really, you could apply that same rationale when it applies for hemoglobin A1C. And also just know in uh, future episodes, I will be getting into some of the other blood sugar markers that, uh, that will help to provide a more comprehensive insight regarding blood sugar as a whole. So keep a lookout for those. Now, before I close out, I want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing. I really do appreciate it. Well, that about does it for today. And until next time, take care, everyone. This podcast for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties for guests' qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.